Whatever happened to free will? We actually tried free will before. After taking you from hunting and gathering to the height of the Roman Empire, we stepped back to see how you'd do on your own. You gave us the Dark Ages for five centuries, until finally we decided we should come back in. The chairman thought that maybe we just needed to do a better job with teaching you how to ride a bike before taking the training wheels off again. So we gave you the Renaissance, the Enlightenment, scientific revolution. For 600 years, we taught you to control your impulses with reason. Then in 1910, we stepped back again. Within 50 years, you'd brought us World War I, the Depression, fascism, the Holocaust, and capped it off by bringing the entire planet to the brink of destruction in the Cuban Missile Crisis. At that point, a decision was taken to step back in again before you did something that even we couldn't fix. You don't have free will, David. You have the appearance of free will. You expect me to believe that? I make decisions every day. You have free will over which toothpaste you use or which beverage to order at lunch, but humanity just isn't mature enough to control the important things. So you handle the important things. Well, the last time I checked, the world's a pretty screwed up place. It's still here. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. We open up with that clip from a movie called The Adjustment Bureau. If you haven't seen it, if you haven't seen it, this is clearly a thinking man's movie. And I forgot how good it was. It came on cable the other night, and I'd, I've probably seen it five or six times. I've, clear, I've used clips from it before in the past, and uh, it's just an amazing, you know, between between the deep state that we're seeing that's going on now, and what what Trump and uh, the Trump administration is starting to starting to uh, unveil of the all the stuff that's happening behind the scenes, and the concept of the adjustment bureau, a, a bunch of guys that work for the chairman, that many of us refer to as God, um, uh, that that are that are 
that are orchestrating or, orchestrating things in the world by making things happen. It's it's an amazing thinking man story. You got to watch it twice, twice at least, and don't be uh, don't be having conversations in the middle. Watch it. It's great. We also use that song "Magic" from the Cars in uh, memory of Rick Ocasek, who died fr- who died uh, Monday at age seventy six. You know what is the deal with all these all all my uh, all my all my uh, teenage uh, teenage t- uh, years? All my rockers are dying. Of course, Paul McCartney's still there, so uh, uh, you know half the Beatles are still around. But uh, Rick Ocasek died um, apparently uh, right after surgery. Um, being treated for I can't even remember I'll have to look that up at the break but uh we'll we'll miss we'll miss Rick Ocasek and uh they were just inducted the cars were just inducted into the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a couple of years ago and uh his his uh partner at one of his uh the, the other singer in the in the cars Benjamin Orr actually died uh in 2000 uh, of uh, colon cancer and uh just just a bummer that we're losing these people and uh so anyway that's that's that. So we're going to talk about what's uh, what else is going on besides our rock and rollers dying. And you know, last week it was Eddie Money. This week it was Rick Ocasek. People going threes. Who will it be next? Anyway, before I go on, let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman with Summit Funding. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, Call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll-free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to talk with me, but you don't want to talk on the phone at first because then we're going to when we're going to know each other, we're going to hear each other's voices. It's so personal. Uh, go to edhoffman.net, arrow down to the Summit Funding logo, click on there, you get to my landing, my lending page, and you'll have a questionnaire there. You can put in as much information as you want me to have. Tell me how much information you want back, and you'll hear back from uh, either myself or one of my talented teammates, Eric Marquez, Alex Rojas, Aaron Fredericks, Cody Bradbury, and uh, we will help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. Um, if you hear anything, uh, that you want, uh, repeated on edhoffman.net, you can get the podcast, go to edhoffman.net, click on the podcast page. You can also hear this show as many as, as, as well as several past shows on that, on that website. You can also get the, uh, get the web, the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes where you can uh, subscribe for free, have it download to your, uh, your, your iPhone, your iWatch, your iPad, your mini pad, your maxi pad, your computer, Anything you can listen to podcasts on, have it uh, and have it uh, download once a week automatically. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, my uh, on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where I t- tweet about current events all week long, and the Facebook page uh, for the main event is uh, Facebook.com/slash the main event Ed Hoffman. So uh, before I go any further, welcoming back to the studio my buddy Scott McPhee, owner of Scott Don's Bikes in Rialto and Redlands, and uh, coming soon too. Well, thinking about a third location, Ed, I don't want to divulge too much right now. Thinking about it. All right. Still thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, thinking been, about it. Been thinking about it for a long time. Mm. Well, good things take time, Ed, as you know. Yes, I do. So uh, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Ed. Great to be back in the house. <laughs> so uh, what, where have you been? I, asked, I called you a couple of times, and you were too busy. Too you busy know, selling bikes. To- it's nuts. The bike market's just like exploding, Ed. So electric bike sales are through the roof. We're shipping bikes all over the country now. So it's just a really, really busy time for us. Yep. it's uh, We were we were on a good, steady, steady, uh, steady uh business track there and then all of a sudden the interest rates started going down and now it's like 
bonkers. Nice. No time, no rest for the weary. Mm. So let's get into what's going on. Have some fun. This uh, looks like it's going to be a fun show today. So uh, somehow Joe Biden is still leading in all the major polls for the Democrat primary race, despite a new batch of gaffes hitting the airwaves over the past week. In fact, most of them can hardly be considered gaffes, more like ramblings of someone who's losing his faculties and most certainly should not be running for president again. I think this is his third time. The first one is one that we didn't have time for last week from the debate in Houston, somehow answering a question on how how to repair the legacy of slavery. The 76-year-old Biden thought it was appropriate to suggest that poor people should, one, let social workers let social workers help raise their kids, and two, be taught to entertain their kids with old-time technology. We bring social workers into homes of parents to help them deal with how to raise their children. It's not that they don't want to help. They don't, want, they don't know quite what to do. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. A kid coming from a very poor school, or a very poor background, will hear four million words fewer spoken by the time they get there. Well, <laughs> that's such a rambling, incoherent sense. I don't even know where to begin with that. I'm, I'm almost scared to ask, you know, maybe I missed that part of the debate. But, uh, you know, is he... Is he saying that this is what people should do now? We should have social workers come in. You no, know, hey, the kids, the, the kids raising kids don't know what to do. You got to send social workers to teach them. Well, yeah, and you got to fire up the old gramophone to let them listen to that too. As gather around the campfire and uh, <coughs> and send your kid Morse code signals. Ed, I think that's what he's suggesting. Hey, when you, how old were you when you had your first kid? Uh, let me think. So I was twenty. I'm, I'm sorry, like twenty eight. Yeah, twenty eight. So. Did they come with a manual on how to raise them? No, no, they don't. They so how do you know what to do? Uh, you know, being a parent's one of those things you just, I mean, well, obviously you learn, you know what you know from being a child yourself. You know what you know from observing other people and how they're raised. And some of it's just kind of common sense, you know, or right. Uh, the diaper smells, you got to change it, right? Those kind of things. Yeah, those, th- those things are obvious. Right. Those things are obvious. I just didn't have anybody that, other than, you know, my mom, of course, okay. that uh, would offer would offer any lessons on what to do. Mm. Just don't know what to do. It's amazing. Hey, they don't know what to do. Bring in social workers. We should do that. We should have government-appointed nannies. So uh, it gets better. The same candidate who, told, who said Republicans will put y'all back in chains to a black audience in 2012. And poor kids are just as bright as white kids. <laughs> Last month. What about poor white kids? Uh, are they just... <laughs> Those are the smartest kids at all. Okay. Of all. All right. So poor kids just as bright as white kids. Last month isn't done trying to prove his street cred with African Americans. <laughs> all right. He's cool, baby. He's got hot sauce in his purse. Oh wait, that was that was Hillary. Uh, speaking speaking at a community pool where he worked sixty years ago, growing up in Delaware, Biden told the mostly black crowd the strange story of his teenage nemesis, a black gang member named Corn Pop. I thought Corn Pop was. Kind of cereal. Why do they call him Corn Pop? Did he have Corn Rose or something? Is that? I don't know. Okay. All right. And when he was a kid, did they have Corn Pops? <laughs> when thought, Joe Biden was a kid? Yeah, I think they were. Because when I was a kid, they were called Sugar Pops. Okay. So now they're called Corn Pops because nobody wants to give their kids anything with, that says sugar on it. Mm. But they're the same thing. <laughs> same thing. Now no one is disputing that Corn Pop wasn't a real person. Apparently, William Corn Pop Morris was well known in Wilmington, and he and he died three years ago. So now it's safe for Biden to come out and talk talk smack behind his back. It's Biden's rambling delivery and the trademark pandering that make it so painful. I learned a lot 
And I learned that uh, it makes a difference. This was the diving board area, and I was one of the guards, and there weren't a lot of, there was a three meter board. And you fell off sideways, you landed on the damp, uh, the darn cement over there. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. And he ran a bunch of bad boys. And I did. Yeah, he, and back in those days, you show how things have changed. One of the things you had to use, if you yeah. used pomade in your mm -hmm. hair, you had to wear a bathing cap. And so he was up on the board, wouldn't listen to me. I said, hey, Esther, you, off the board, or I'll come up and drag you off. Well, he came off. And he said, I'll meet you outside. My car, this was mostly, these were all public housing behind it. My car, there was a gate out here. I parked my car outside the gate. And I, he said, I'll be waiting for you. He was waiting for three guys in straight razors. Not a joke. There was a guy named Bill Wright, Mouse, the only white guy, and he did all the pools. What? He was the mechanic. And I said, what am I going to do? He said, come down here in the basement. Where mechanics, where, oh. where, where all the pool builder is. God, this is you awful. You know the chain, there used to be a chain that went across the deep end. And he cut off <laughs> the six off foot the deep end chain. Show. He folded up, he said, you walk out with that chain. And you walk to the car and say, you may cut me, man, but I'm going to wrap this chain around your head. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no, if you don't, don't come back. And he was right. So I walked out with the chain. And I walked up to my car. And they had, they, in those days, you used to remember the straight race, you'd bang them on the curb, get them rusty, put them in the rain barrel, get them rusty. Put them in the rain barrel, Ed. And I looked I, at I them, remember that. But I was the rain barrels? then. I said, first of all, I said, when I tell you to get off the board, you get off the board, and uh, I'll kick you out again. But I shouldn't have called you, Esther Williams. I apologize for that. I apologize. But I didn't know that apology was going to work. He said, you apologize to me? I said, I apologize for that. Not for throwing you out. But I apologize for what I said. He said, okay, close the straight razor, and my heart began to beat again. Wow, what a great story that was. That was one of the worst stories I've ever heard, Ed. I know, it's uh, certainly presidential. No, yeah, I totally. Think, I think it uh, had so much pertinence to today. Yep. He didn't tell you there's an even more dangerous character in town known as Kareem of Wheat. <laughs> so, <laughs> by the, and by, did you know that Corn Pop was a serial killer, by the way? Yeah, they kept finding his victims uh, in uh, bathtubs full of milk. <laughs> the, thing, the things that we call comedy today. Yep. But I'm... Okay, so even, even our oldest president, our oldest living president and fellow Democrat, half, half a brain, Jimmy Carter, was hinting that Biden's age is working against him in a big way. You know, if I were... Just 80 years old. <laughs> if I was 50 years younger, I don't believe I could undertake the duties that I experienced when I was president. But one thing, you had to be very flexible with your mind. You had to be able to go from one subject to another and concentrate on each one adequately. Yeah, I don't think uh, Jimmy Carter handled it that well when he was in his 50s. No, Jimmy, you actually sucked as president. A few comments on Joe Biden, by the way. You know, they've been calling him Joe Sixpack to make him sound more ordinary. Ed, Joe couldn't tell you how many cans of beer in a six-pack at this point. Is it is the six-pack because of his his uh, his his great abs or because of the the uh, the rows of uh, of implants on his on his hair? I'm not sure. I will say this though that most vice presidents are being followed around by secret service. Joe Biden's being followed around by visiting angels, Ed. 
You know, I mean, I, before he goes up on a debate stage, they're probably shaking him and saying, Joe, what's your name, Joe? Joe, what's your name? Joe, what kind of animal wears a cowbell, Joe? No, Joe, sorry, that's not the website. That's your zip code, Joe. <laughs> the, guy, the guy's lost it. He's lost it. <laughs> Meanwhile, Elizabeth Warren is the hot candidate of this week. Even though she's still pulling second behind Biden, the media has decided her event in New York City this week is going going in the history books because of a bunch of people stood in line for selfies with her. How consequential was that rally last night? Not just what she said, but the four hours of selfies afterward. We are just learning the senator took some 4,000 selfies. Four hours taking selfies. She was out there taking selfies. People waited for hours there to take selfies. She spent four hours taking selfies. 4,000 last night? That's remarkable. Yeah, 4,000 last night. The campaign says 59,000 uh, since she has started running for president. You know, in the scheme of things, she could have given everybody 20 bucks to stand in line for a selfie. So 4,000, that would make 4,000, that make 8,000, that make uh, $80,000 worth of dollars. And considering that this is all campaign money, really does it's really not anybody's money. It's like tax dollars. It's really not spending your own money, 80,000 bucks. You could just do that and people would have, be talking about how everybody wants to have their picture with Elizabeth Warren. You know what I find is so interesting those and I've seen this before where the talking points are like all the same like like they're all getting these talking points from some kind of central leftist committee mm -hmm. that tells them what to say every day. Yep, we've talked about it many times on this on yep. this show. Oh, today today's today's uh today's show or today's uh this week's this week's phrase will be the existential threat. Hmm. of global warming okay i will say one thing if they stick if elizabeth warren turns out to be the candidate and they put that dope on a debate stage with trump it's going to be the last in mohican ed watch mark my words it's going to be no matter which uh which person they put on the stage um uh, and they, and this sound the way the the way the press is talking about warren this week sounds kind of familiar because if you take they take turns talking about all the front runners this way Kamala Harris has fallen way to the fifth, way to fifth place in the polls. But in January, they were ready to hand her the presidency. Number one name of some of people of the person that's on people's minds, Kamala Harris. And the politician she reminded me of most then was Barack Obama. Kamala Harris is now running for president. And she is one of the top tier candidates. There's a new challenger to Trump, and she's drawing huge crowds. Senator Kamala Harris of California kicked off her campaign this week and surrounded by, look at that crowd. Trump must be envious as hell. Kamala Harris is probably somebody that on paper has the highest ceiling. You can envision a path for Kamala Harris that quite resembles Barack Obama's. Yeah, that was until Tulsi Gabbard uh, took her down a few notches at the next uh, at the next debate. It just seemed like she tanked after that. Yeah, she, uh, I think uh, Tulsi Gabbard said, well, wait a minute. Um, you got all these people in, in jail in California for all these uh, marijuana uh, fences. And when somebody asks you, uh, uh, Senator Harris, or they ask you, Senator Harris or uh, Attorney General Harris, have you ever smoked weed? You just you just laughed. No, I know. And it, and it is true that she did sleep with Mayor Willie Brown to advance her career. And apparently she did get a new position out of it, Ed. <clears throat> Yeah. Actually, she got several new positions out of it. <laughs> Pretty sure she was the chief of staff there for a little while. <laughs> it's it's the Scott McAfee comedy hour. That's today. right. All right. Can't help myself, Ed. Okay. Sorry. I don't want to cut. I don't want to cut you off. There's any more jokes coming? <laughs> Getting back to the show, uh, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of uh, of Canada, 
just days after launching his re-election campaign, not one, not two, but three different photos of Trudeau in full blackface makeup in this and in his past have emerged. Oh my God! So uh, the first one we saw him dressed up in uh, as Aladdin in Arabian Nights theme party at a high school party where he was the 29-year-old teacher, not a student, in 2001. When asked by the press if there were any other times that he'd worn blackface, Trudeau admitted he did one for high school talent show where he sang Harry Belafonte's song, Dale. You know the one. Yep, Dale. Uh, also known as the Banana Boat song. And within hours, that photo emerged. Surely wearing blackface twice in life was enough for a social justice warrior like Justin Trudeau. Nope. By Thursday, a third one hit the news with Trudeau dressed in a black in blackface and an afro rig in the early night afro. I'm sorry, afro wig in the early nineties. Don't really know what to say. I'm looking at the pictures right here. What's with the left and going blackface? That's what I want to know. Why is this a a recurring theme uh, amongst this party? I honestly don't know. I hmm. see. Uh, I see. Looks like he's being a disco person. Maybe he went to a disco party one time. He went to a uh, Arabian Nights party one time. God, this I, last one, he actually he looks darker than Wesley Snipes in this last one. You know, I, I ex- almost expect him to have white lips and get down on his knee and start singing, you know, "Mammy, Mammy" or something like that. Oh, that, you know, that would be look. Ra- you can hardly even see him in the picture. I know. In that last, you one. can see his teeth. Yeah, you're right. That's it. Hmm. Yep. Okay. So I just I just don't know what uh, I just don't know what the uh, what the significance of dressing up and I know I know I know Megan Kelly got fired for this and I know oh, we're gonna talk about that in a second the reason that this is such a big deal is because this is the same world leader same world leader who wants to be the savior of the of the West he also says things like this to prove how woke he is I will keep saying I'm a feminist until as you say uh, it's met with yeah we know that move on we shouldn't be talking about tolerance we should be talking about love and acceptance and friendship and respect we shouldn't be afraid of the word feminist men and women should use it to describe themselves anytime they want the future of mankind so we'd like you to uh, we, we like to say people kind not necessarily mankind uh, yeah. it's more inclusive what an absolute moron god you imagine this guy running your country i I, oh. I could see him being the mayor of san francisco maybe oh wait that was where gavin newsom came from and okay. look what happened to him yeah look what's and now look what's happening for us for some reason it's always liberals who seem to emerge with blackface and get away with it just because they claim to be the tolerant ones Let's not forget the Democrat Ralph Northam, who once posed in blackface next to a classmate in a KKK costume, is still governor of, of Virginia. Northam's photo was discovered last year, and shortly after, Megyn Kelly was fired from NBC for daring to talk about it on her show. Let's do a little experiment. Here's what CNN's Don Lemon said after Megyn Kelly tearfully apologized to America on national TV. It's going to be honest. Megyn is 47 years old. She's our age. There has never been a time... In, that, in her 47 years, that blackface has been acceptable. I wonder how much diversity she has in her staff. I don't know, I'm not there, but I would imagine there's not a lot because people would have informed her. This is what people of the larger culture don't understand about racism and about privilege. Now let's fast forward one year. Here's Don Lemon after Trudeau's apology this week. All of a sudden, he's not only forgiving, he's also impressed. Wow. The, I, a leader apologizing that it's just it seems odd yeah. doesn't it i mean because well, um, we have one who doesn't but he says you know he says he didn't think it was racist at the time now he knows better what do you think of that 
But I do have to say this before we go. Think about it however you want to think about it. It, it, When someone apologizes, wow. We We don't often see that here, especially a world leader who's saying, I should have known better and I'm sorry. You can feel about it however you want, but that, to me, that does mean a lot. I got to go. Thank you. Hey, I just want to say, back when I was about 22 or 23, I went to a Halloween cost a Halloween party. Mm-hmm. I went in green face. I, you know, I sprayed, I spray painted myself green, my hair, my skin, everything. I was completely green. I was the Incredible Hulk. And so, for those of you that are green in nature, if I offended you. Never mind, I'm not apologizing. Uh, you know, Martians, go back to Mars. Anyway, hey, we're all out of time for this part of uh, for part one of the main event. Stay tuned for five minutes of commercial traffic, weather, and sports. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to part two of the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman with Summit Funding. I don't talk a lot about uh, real estate or finance on this show because uh, if you're not in the market, it might be a little bit boring. But if you are in the market, there are great, great interest rates out there. You know, realize that right now we're almost a whole percentage lower lo- lower than interest rates this time last year. So if you bought, if you bought your house and you have a, a higher rate, it's probably worth calling and checking to see what the interest rates are. Also, if you're a senior, you're looking at uh, reverse mortgages, it, number one, if you don't know about them, call me, 855-640-2020. And uh, because if you, as the interest rates go down, the principal limits on the reverse mortgages go up. So the more money that you get. So even if you've checked and said, well, you know, we checked and we were about uh, $15,000 short of uh, being able to make the thing work based on the value of our property and the interest rate and our age. Last year, well, this year the interest rates are lower. Your age is up and so is the value of your, value of your house. So uh, 855-640-2020, 855-640-2020 or go to edhoffman.net, click on uh, the Summit Funding logo, put in your information, and we will help you out with that. So uh, for those of you that are just joining us and missed the excitement of the first half, um, in the studio with me is Scott McAfee of Don's Bikes. Ed, jump, jump in say something, Scott. It's great to be back in the house, Ed. Okay. And you, know, he's, he, you missed some good jokes, so go back and listen to part one. <laughs> I will say one thing, one final comment. I know we were talking about blackface and the fact that <laughs> Megan Kelly got fired. And by the way, Don Lemon, that's got to be one of the worst shows I think on television right now, it's just an awful, awful show. I don't know what kind of ratings that guy gets. Uh, But the interesting thing was, do you think that Megyn Kelly got hired by NBC with the intention we're just, okay, she's a former Fox employee, obviously, somebody that leans to the right politically. uh, At least that's what we would assume. Do you think they hired her on just to like, wait till she said something objectionable and then tank her career? Mm, I don't know. I I mean, to me, to me, Megyn Kelly was, on a on a uphill on a uphill trajectory. Okay. Why did she leave Fox? Lots well, of money, I guess. I guess money. I know, but you I know, mean, I think she got a little bit too big for her britches. Yeah, maybe. 
Maybe. And where is she? Where is she now? That's the big question. Where is she now? She's probably mm-hmm. writing her memoirs. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, what's happening? What's happening next on the uh, in this week? One year after uh, Christine Blasey, Blasey Ford testified before Congress about sexual assault she claimed was committed by the young Brett Kavanaugh with no evidence whatsoever, resulting in Kavanaugh's confirmation to the Supreme Court, it's becoming even clearer that the entire plot against Kavanaugh has been a hoax. Hard to believe, isn't it? Not just, really. Just about every, everything else has been a hoax, too. Right. Exhibit A. The lawyer who represented Blasey Ford last year, Deborah Katz, um, admitting to an audience of progressive women that the whole thing was an effort to paint Kavanaugh as an anti-woman just in case. He, uh, to, I'm sorry, to paint Kavanaugh as, and not a, as an anti-woman, but as anti-woman, just in case he ended up being the swing vote on anything related to Roe versus Wade. He will always have an asterisk next to his name. When he takes a scalpel to Roe v. Wade, we will know who he is, we know his character, and we know what motivates him. And that is important. It is important that we know, and that was part of what motivated Christine. Yeah, so that was part of what motivated Christine to come out and make an idiot out of herself. <laughs> that was so dramatic. <laughs> well, not only that, but it's just amazing. Look, they tried that crap before. The guy was confirmed. He's on the Supreme Court. That's not going to change. Well, I, I'm like, why are they pulling out the same garbage again? I don't, I don't even understand. Oh, because there's some people out there that didn't get the, their chance to sell some books. Okay. So exhibit B, Blasey Ford's own father. Oh, okay, we didn't get to the book part yet. So exhibit B is Christine Blasey Ford's own father approached Brett Kavanaugh's father at the golf court club where they're both members. Wait for it to give Kavanaugh his support. Molly Hemingway reported this week the account of the eyewitness, which was published this week in Town Hall. Ralph Blasey Ford, no, Ralph Blasey, Ford's father, went out went out of his way to offer Ed Kavanaugh his support of Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation to the Supreme Court. According to multiple people familiar with the conversation that took place at the Burning Tree Club in Bethesda, Maryland, I'm glad Brett was confirmed, Ralph Blasey's told Ed Kavanaugh, shaking his hand. I just don't think that's going far enough, though. I mean, what, what are you saying? Are you saying your daughter's a liar? I mean, is that what you're saying? Is that the implication here? Uh, I would say that he pro. Well, you know what, if, if, uh, if you and, uh, and some other girl that knew you in high school went to high school together and your parents both know each other and, uh, your daughter goes, goes bat crazy. I don't want to say the whole word. Um, she goes, she goes crazy and starts coming after you after your, after you, if, if his daughter starts coming after your son. I guess what I'm wondering is, okay, if, if your daughter was supposedly assaulted by some guy, I mean, years later, you're not going to support him as being uh, someone on the Supreme Court. Is that fair to say? Uh, I would I would think. Okay, so but, that means uh, so that he I'm, thinks it's a bunch of baloney. I would, I would, that's how I would take it. Too. Okay, and that's her father who probably knows her better than most people. I mean, the, there was the, there were so many holes in the story from day one. She couldn't remember details. The whole thing was just a big fat fraud. And of course, uh, naturally, she's probably like, uh, I don't know, maybe she'll, she'll have her own book soon. That's all these people do. They write books, books about BS. And who, who reads those books? I mean, I listen to books. I don't read, I don't read books. Mm. Through the through the uh, the old old ways as much as I used to, but now I listen to books. But uh, who reads these kind of books? Don't know. Not I. Well, not this kind of crap. Obviously, I don't have time. I mean, if I'm going to read a book, it better be something good. I mean, do you read a book? Do you read the books that uh, uh, Judge Janine puts out and all these people on Fox News? Um, sometimes. Just depends. Sometimes. I read uh, I read a few of them, but okay. 
just seems that they they come out they write books faster than I can read them. Mm. So, plus I have other things in my life that I have to read about too. Right. You know, like uh, how to uh, put gas in my car and <laughs> and exhibit C, D, and E are the many defenses. New York Times reporters Robin Pogrebin and Kate Kelly, authors of the new book, The Education of Brett Kavanaugh, gave after the Times was caught with its pants down this week. As you've probably heard by now, the book cites an un- unnamed classmate from Yale who claims she can't even remember the incident in question. Instead, it's political operative Max Steyer, who has worked for both Clintons and, and Barack Obama, who claims he saw the incident happen at Yale and it took it upon himself to tell the writers for their book. So here's the writer's first defense on MSNBC. It's not their fault. What happened actually was um, that, you know, we had her name and, and, you know, the Times doesn't usually include the name of the victim. And so I think in this case, the editors felt like maybe it was probably better to remove it. And in removing her name, um, they removed the other reference to the fact that she didn't remember it. It was just sort of an editing, you know, done in the haste uh, in the editing process, as you know, for closing the section. Yeah, that's it. It's, It's not our fault. It's the Times editors. Uh, since they didn't want to put in her name, let's leave out the fact that we don't, we're not going to give you her name. And by the way, she doesn't even remember this anyway. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense at all. So supposedly the victim doesn't remember this even happening and, and you're mad at the paper for, it's just, they're obviously just trying to sell books and they're trying to sell books about a story that never happened. Exactly. Here's the second defense on the view. We're not trying to get Kavanaugh impeached. We just want people to open their minds. It's fine to have a, a series of Democratic candidates calling for impeachment, but that was before the book came out, which is today. Um, and you also have Trump kind of jumping on, on things as if we have an agenda, which, you know, that was not our intent. Our intent is to revisit these facts with detail and depth and you know, then kind of have people open their minds. Wasn't that what the hearings are all about that went on for what? I don't know. How long did that go on? A week, uh, two? I don't even yeah, remember at least, now. At least I think it was more like a month. Didn't you think that was thorough enough? I thought it was. I mean, we're, why are we still talking about? Uh, why are we still talking about uh, the the Russian the Russian influence on the election? Are we still talking about that now? Are they still hanging on to that one? Uh, yeah. Wait, okay. till we, wait till we get our ne- to our next subject. We're All almost, right, we're almost there. Okay. The final defense. It's Twitter's fault. I drafted this with this in mind to have actually the opposite effect, mm-hmm. which is to anticipate those who would say a guy pulling down his pants at a party when they're drunk is, you know, on the spectrum of sexual misconduct. It's not sexual assault. It's not rape. Uh-huh. What's the big deal? And to try to put in context Deborah Ramirez's experience uh-huh. and to say, actually, it was a big deal for those who minimize it and dismiss it. Um, I was trying to help them understand that it had the opposite effect and it seemed to undermine her. Twitter. I like how they talk about this. Like it actually happened, Dad. Yeah, exactly. We want to. Hey, for those of you that that don't feel bad, for those of you that you know that aren't feeling it, for those of you that just don't believe us and think we're full of crap. Uh, well, I guess it didn't work. Nope. Apparently. Nope. Somebody wants to sell some books. Another idiot uh, reporter wants to sell some books, Ed, and uh, and they don't. They have no problem destroying somebody's reputation and their family's reputation in the process. Even though there's no evidence to support any of this, Ed. I want to sell some books. I just uh, okay. have, I haven't got around to writing one yet. Okay. Dawn says I should. She keeps telling me, write a book, write a book, write a book. What should I write a book about? About everything you know. Okay, I'll write it. What does anybody want to read about? I don't know. I got a lot of stories I could tell. I guess if I ever write it, if I ever write it, well, I'll be concerned about selling them. Okay. Get those things out of my garage, man. Sell them books. I want to put my car back in there. (laughs) 
So as part of their unending quest to waste our money, Jerry Nadler's House Judiciary Committee called former Trump campaign manager Corey Lewandowski to, to testify Tuesday as part of its pointless impeachment probe into the president. Before we go any further, I want to I want to play Corey Lewandowski's opening statement because I thought it was awesome. Let's play it now. I'd like to start off by expressing my hope that today's hearing will be productive in revealing the truth both to the committee and to the American people. For the record, and as you likely know, I have already testified before Congress on three separate occasions. I sat at length with the staff of the special counsel's office. There, too, my time and answers were given freely and without hesitation. I think in one form or another, I've already answered questions for well over 20 hours. So now here I am before the House Judiciary Committee to answer the same questions again. Just last week, this committee, over the objections of the minority, unilaterally changed the rules to make this an impeachment proceeding, which is very unfair. However, in the spirit of cooperation, I am prepared to move forward today. I'd like to start by recounting the events that brought us to this point. My story of joining the Trump campaign, working through a historic election, and continuing to have the privilege to be part of the greatest political movement in our nation's history. I present this summary in the interest of truth and transparency to the American people, the very same reason and rationale that this committee offers as the basis for today's hearing. Growing up in a blue-collar, single-parent family in Lowell, Massachusetts, I learned the value of hard work. And that work ethic helped me to put myself through both college and graduate school. Prior to becoming a congressional staffer, and ultimately a certified peace officer in the state of New Hampshire. However, the world of politics was always a passion. And in January of 2015, Donald J. Trump, then a private citizen, hired me to help him explore a possible run for the presidency. It was an honor and a privilege to play a small part of such a historic campaign. The campaign started as a small group of individuals helping Mr. Trump to make the decision in June of 2015 to ride down the golden escalator and seek the Republican nomination for presidency of the United States. For more than a year, I served as campaign manager to then-candidate Trump in his historic campaign, where I led a lean and dedicated operation that succeeded in helping him capture the Republican nomination. My job was simple. Provide Mr. Trump with my best advice, spend his money like it was my own, and give him the support he needed to win. I also set long-term objectives and managed day-to-day decisions. I had the privilege, and it was a privilege, of helping transform the Trump campaign from a dedicated but small makeshift organization to a historical and unprecedented political juggernaut. And I am proud to say Mr. Trump won 38 primaries and caucuses and received more votes than any candidate in the history of the Republican Party, all while being outspent most of the way. The historic campaign helped Mr. Trump secure the Republican nomination to ultimately the presidency of the United States. However, since election day, Whether it was bad actors at the FBI and the intelligence community or lies coming from members of the current House majority that there was evidence of collusion, the American people continue to be sold a false narrative with the purpose of undermining the legitimacy of the 2016 election results. But no matter the size, campaigns are not always the most efficient organizations. And while you run in single congressional districts, just imagine what it's like to lead a national campaign that spans all 50 states of the union. During my time as campaign manager, They were competing interests for the candidates' time, and a sea of ideas, some laudable, some sound, a few not so much, many of which were dismissed out of hand. Others were passed on to staffers to be handled. I also received hundreds of thousands of emails, some days with as many as a thousand emails, 
And unlike Hillary Clinton, I don't think I ever deleted any of those. Many of them were responded to with either one-word answers or forwarded to other staffers for additional follow-up. But throughout it all, and to the best of my recollection, I don't ever recall having any conversations with foreign entities, let alone any who were offering to help to manipulate the outcome of an election. As I've said publicly many times, anyone who attempted to illegally impact the outcome of an election should spend the rest of their life in jail. And let me stress this fact. During the 2016 election cycle, Mr. Trump held no elected position. He was not a government official. Rather, the Obama-Biden administration and the intelligence community, overseen by James Clapper, Jim Comey, and John Brennan, had the responsibility to the American people to ensure the integrity of the 2016 election. I will leave it to this committee and the American public to decide how successful or not they were in doing their jobs. Regardless, as the special counsel determined, there was no conspiracy or collusion between the Trump campaign and any foreign governments, either on my watch or afterwards. Not surprisingly, after the Mueller report was made public, interest in the fake Russia collusion narrative has fallen apart. In conclusion, and it's sad to say, this country has spent over three years and 40 million taxpayer dollars on these investigations, and it's now clear that the investigation was populated by many Trump haters who had their own agenda to take down a duly elected president of the United States. As for actual collusion or conspiracy, there was none. What there has been, however, is harassment of this president from the day he won the election. We as a nation would be better served if elected officials like yourself concentrated your efforts to combat the true crises facing our country, as opposed to going down rabbit holes like this hearing. Instead of focusing on petty and personal politics, the committee focused on solving the challenges of this generation. Imagine how many people we could help, or how many lives we could save. As I stated earlier, I have voluntarily appeared in front of Congress on three separate occasions and spoken to members of the Special Counsel's Office for multiple hours. I will continue to be forthright, forthright and cooperative, and I will be as sincere in my answers as this committee is in its questions. So needless to say, needless to say, that happened Tuesday morning uh, when us Republicans were at work. And uh, Don uh, DVR'd it and, uh, Tuesday night after uh, we were done with all of our other stuff for the evening. Um, Don turned it on. Uh, you know, for a little uh, uh, bedtime watching TV and uh, said, oh, you want me to fast forward this now? Let's 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 watch it for a little bit. This is interesting. We end up watching two of the three hours of the because uh, she only got two hours. She said after the after the second break, it was like, I don't think they ever came back or she didn't remember to turn on the DVR. But we watched two hours of this and it was gripping. and I thought it was quite entertaining, which we'll show. And, and it just started out with Lewandowski giving them telling them the way it is. Yeah, I thought certainly the most important thing to come out of this hearing was what you just heard, was was allowing him to have a platform to say what needed to be said and just give a really nice summary of everything that we've been tolerating for the last two years. By the way, I also really like the Clinton email dig. Yeah, exactly. That was and, my favorite. And the fact that, and the and the uh, the Clapper, Comey, Brennan uh, yep. dig yep. as well, because he, he pointed out, hey, you know what? All this stuff that supposedly went on, went on under the Obama administration and why are we looking at Trump to find out why why this stuff happened while he was running he was a private citizen at the time he had nothing to do with the government had no control over anything and the people that were in charge were the Obama administration 
Remember Barack Hussein Obama? Remember Joe Biden? You know, the guy being uh, followed by uh, visiting angels? Joe Biden can't remember Joe Biden anymore, Exactly. Right? <laughs> Don't forget uh, Loretta Lynch and uh, James Comey, all these guys. They were the ones in charge that were supposed to be watching the store. And uh, I just thought I thought I thought that was a great opening. And uh, and and if you watched five minutes Democrats, five minutes of Republicans, five minutes of Democrats, five minutes of Republicans, the Democrats grandstanding trying to get him to say something that uh, they were unsuccessful in doing, and the Republicans doing more of what you just heard Corey do. Since the Democrats have no tolerance for knowing people have their rights, didn't take long for the hearing to delve into chaos. Here's uh, Corey and uh, Sheila Jackson Lee. When the president asked you to deliver his message to Sessions, did the president tell you that Sessions had already said no? Volume 2, one, page 107. Again, Congresswoman, I recognize that the privilege is not mine, but I've been this asked by the, the White public, House to... Uh, Congresswoman, I'd be happy to answer your question, or you can just have a conversation by yourself. But if you'd like to ask me a question, no, I'll be happy I, to I, answer. Yep, she, uh, she was not happy. And then, well, answer the question. You didn't give me a question. You know, he, he obviously went into this thing knowing that this was all one big fat joke and he went into it with that attitude. And, you know, it actually looks like he was having fun out there. Yeah, I would uh, I would uh, I I would agree. He, he looked like he was having fun. It was fun to watch. Right. It kind of makes me want to testify in front of Congress, Ed. And it, Wouldn't that be fun? What do you know? I don't know anything, but I'll, I'll just go up there and tell jokes. Where were you in the night of January 20th, 2017? And who were you partying with? Hmm. <clears throat> Seems like was that tonight that we ran into uh, Hannity and Gutfeld and Wolf Blitzer? No, Wolf Blitzer. That was a couple nights earlier. Yep. Yeah, Wolf Blitzer. Hey, uh, hey, Wolf Blitzer. Hey, oh, oh, yeah. you you want to take a picture with me? You want my autograph? Nope. Yeah, I know. We just kind of like, sorry, Wolf. Exactly. He's really, he's really disappointed. Uh, here's Lewandowski uh, with uh, Jamie Raskin of Maryland. Are you representing the White House has told you that they are that they are invoking executive privilege on your behalf today? I don't believe it's an executive privilege, sir. And, and again, I think we've submitted the letter for your clarification of what the White House has said. Well, let me ask but you. It's I'm, not I'm my really, privilege I'm, to waive. Well, I don't think it's anyone's privilege to waive because I don't think it exists, Mr. Lewandowski. I think the whole thing is imaginary. It's like the tooth fairy. Um, you didn't work My for the president are in the White thank House. You, Congressman. I'm sorry. I, My I children hope... were watching, so thank you for that. Well, I hope the president's not on then. Ooh, he's so he's so he's so clever. Well, executive privilege does exist. I'm not sure what his comment about the uh, tooth fairy was was all about, or, what, or the commentary about the uh, president. He thinks because I think I think what he said. Now that I've heard it for 14 times, yeah. Um, because my kids were watching. Well, I hope the president isn't. Isn't because he doesn't want to want his kids watching the president. No, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. No, I think maybe he was thinking that the president believes in the tooth fairy. Oh, okay. All right. Wasn't that's, clear on that. That's Ed. what I was. That's what I. That's how I took it. Mm. I could be wrong. Mm. Okay. Here's Steve Cohen of Tennessee, uh, the same moron who embarrassed his fellow Democrats with the KFC chicken stunt a few months ago. Either you were willing to break the law for politics, and Mr. Trump, or you're some kind of a Forrest Gump relating to corruption. So maybe let me ask you this. Did the president pick you as enforcer? He thought you would play whatever role he wanted because it was illegal? Is that possibly why he chose you to take this message to Sessions? That'd be a question for the president, Congressman. Stupid is as stupid does, sir. Yeah, pretty much. That's not a question, by the way. That was an insult. Yeah, I like the I like the one. Uh, I, like, I don't remember who was questioning him, but there was a time at which it was getting to be really chaos. Mm -hmm. And uh, someone's just rambling on and on and on. And right as the time ran out, uh, Nadler says, the witness will answer the question. And Lewandowski goes, thank you. Nice. Okay, go on. <laughs> That's all it was. 
That's all it was. And finally, here's uh, here's Chairman Nadler. Here's Jerry Nadler, the Weeble, spanking uh, Lewandowski with a threat of contempt. Mr. Lewandowski, your behavior in this hearing room has been completely unacceptable. And it is part of a pattern by a White House desperate for the American people not to hear the truth. I have been asked several times today whether the committee will hold you in contempt. That is certainly under consideration. But there is a far more troubling level of contempt on display here today, and that is President Trump's role in your refusal to answer questions. The pattern of obstruction laid out in the Mueller report has not stopped. You showed the American public in real time that the Trump administration will do anything and everything in its power to obstruct the work of the Congress. The president's lawyers are sitting behind you right now to make sure that you do not answer us. Well, this committee is focused on the evidence of potential corruption, obstruction, and abuse of power. And exposing that misconduct is our top priority. Make no mistake, we will hold President Trump accountable. Mr. Lewandowski, I'm sending you to the principal's office, and they're going to call your parents and have them come pick you up, and you're going to get detention. I just came to an important conclusion, Ed. Uh, Chairman Nadler is actually Elmer Fudd. You know, he does talk like him. Coy Lundowski, you are a wascally wabbit, and you're not going to get out of this session without answering these questions. You squee wabbit. You're a wascally wabbit. It's duck season, wabbit season, <laughs> Lewandowski season. All right, there's a, enough of this. Enough of this craziness. We're all out of time for this episode of the main event. Scott, thanks for joining me this week, so I didn't have to uh, do this all by myself. Ed, always tons of fun. Thanks for listening. My name's Ed Hoffman. I'll be back again with you next week. Opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Summit Funding Incorporated. Ed Hoffman, NMLS ID number 9921, California DRE ID number 1012658, Arizona MLO license number 0926439, branch NMLS ID number 1841782, Summit Funding Incorporated, NMLS ID number 3199, Arizona license number 0925837, Equal Housing Opportunity.